1: Now, Christians' motives and attitudes should be pure at all times, but particularly when we come together for the Lord's Supper. We should leave behind all sin, all bitterness, all prejudice, all class pride, any feelings of superiority. Those are always out of place, but they're particularly out of place at the Lord's Supper.
0: We are exploring 1 Corinthians chapter 11 today, a message called the Lord's Supper. This is Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely. And today, we continue looking at the Lord's Supper. Just exactly what is it that we celebrate? For many of us, once a month, some once a week. Why is it so important that we come a certain way? And to what end? These are questions we're answering today. Join us. Here's Pastor Layton
1: with this edition of Study Verse by Verse. Church division, as ungodly and sinful as it is, is nevertheless used by the Lord to prove the worth and worthiness of his saints. Evil helps manifest good. Trouble in the church creates a situation where true spiritual strength, wisdom, and leadership can be manifested. Great leaders are exposed through difficult circumstances. Let me see if I can illustrate. Let me give you a couple names, see if you can place them. Hayes and Pierce. Now, most of you may not be able to place those names, so let me give you a couple more. Washington and Lincoln. Now, as you might have have determined, all four of these names are the names of presidents. But it wasn't until I said Washington and Lincoln that many of us figured that out. Because Washington and Lincoln were our presidents during the most contentious, difficult times in the history of our nation our war for independence, and the Civil War. And it was through those difficult circumstances that their good and godly leadership and their anointing by God was made manifest through the difficulties of their presidency. Now, factions are not merely disruptive; They can be destructive. Although they initially reveal strong spiritual leaders, if they're left unchallenged, they can undermine and damage a Christian church, and they should not be tolerated. In his letter to Titus, Paul wrote, If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. For people like that have turned away from the truth, and their own sins condemn them. The very fact that a person is divisive proves their carnality and their unfitness for being part of Christian fellowship. It is necessary that factions appear, but it is not necessary that they be tolerated or allowed to lead to division in the church. Verse 20, when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. In the ancient world, there were many ways, they were, they were much more social than, than, than we are. It was a regular custom for people to get together and, and to have their meals together. They didn't have fast food so much back then. And, and there was a certain kind of feast that was commonplace. It was called Iranos, uh, in which all of the participants would bring their share of food. And then they would, uh, they would uh, gather all of the, the contributions into a pool. And, and everyone would enjoy what was there. And the early church had such a, a custom as well. It was a feast called the Agape, or the Love Feast. And all of the Christians would bring whatever they could, and their resources were pooled, and then they'd sit down and enjoy it together over conversation. It was a great custom. In fact, it has continued on over the centuries, and we know it as the church potluck. Yeah, church potluck goes way, way back. Well, oftentimes, the communion was celebrated at mealtimes. And the congregation had perverted what they called communion. What they thought was communion was not communion at all. That's what Paul says when he says, Therefore, when you eat together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. You might be breaking some bread, you might be passing a cup, you might be repeating some of the words of Jesus, but what you are doing has nothing to do with the ordinance that the Lord has instituted. Christ is not not there, He is not a part of it, He has no part in it. It was nothing more than a ceremony without substance, it was just a meal. It wasn't communion with Christ because Christ wasn't there. He was being dishonored by their activity. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. In the, in the Roman Empire, there were only two classes of people, the very rich and the very poor. Over two-thirds of the Roman Empire were slaves. They were the very poor. Uh, most of the early church were slaves. Slaves were usually only fed a meager portion of food by their masters. And so the slaves of uh, Christian slaves look forward to getting together with their wealthy Christian brothers because that meal together was probably going to be the best meal of their entire week. But the believers in Corinth had a problem because the wealthy brothers did not exhibit the love and the generosity that Christ modeled by leaving the throne room and glories of heaven for our benefit. Instead, the poor would come to supper expecting to share in the food brought by the wealthy, but they went away hungry, both physically as well as spiritually. Those who brought the food and the drink gorged themselves, and they became drunk. And thus, the very purpose of the occasion, which was to celebrate the unity and the harmony that we have in Christ, was lost. Verse 22. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. It's as if in frustration, Paul is intentionally asking accusatory questions to confront them in their hypocrisy. He says, what? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? If you want to behave like that, can't you do it in your own home? Why do you want to bring it into the church? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? Do you detest the people for which Christ died? Do you think of yourself more highly than others? Do you get your jollies embarrassing others who are less fortunate than you? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Shall I praise you for behavior that is detestable even to non-believers? In this I will not praise you. Now, Christians' motives and attitudes should be pure at all times, but particularly when we come together for the Lord's Supper. We should leave behind all sin, all bitterness, all prejudice, all class pride, any feelings of superiority. Those are always out of place, but they're particularly out of place at the Lord's Supper because they profane that, that holy and that beautiful ordinance provided through Christ. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Now, the Paul was an apostle. The word apostle meant sent one. It was an official designation that the one sent represented the one who sent them. And Paul was an apostle of Christ Jesus. He represented Christ Jesus. And he said that this that he was giving them was not his personal opinion, but it was received from the Lord. Now, most conservative scholars agree that 1 Corinthians was probably written before any of the Gospels. And if that's true, then this is the first written uh, institution of the Lord's Supper. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed. So many of the church may not have had the Gospels at that time. They didn't know the setting where the Lord's Supper was initiated. And so what Paul here was saying, it was on the night that the Lord was betrayed. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the original language, given thanks is a participle of Eucharistio, from which we get the word Eucharist, which is a name by which some Christians refer to the communion or the Last Supper. The bread that had represented the Passover lamb in Exodus now came to represent the body of Christ Jesus, the Messiah, and when he, when he used the word body, to the Jewish mind, the body was, didn't describe just the shell that we exist in, but rather described the whole person. It described the ministry of Jesus, his teaching, his work, all he was and all he did. And the word is, as in this is my body, has produced some interesting interpretations over the centuries. As some of us may have been taught that at some point, the communion elements literally become the body and blood of Christ. The Roman Catholic Church teaches a doctrine called transubstantiation, which teaches that these changes take place at the time of prayer. Some Lutherans hold to a doctrine of consubstantiation, a teaching that these changes take place, but at a different time. At Highlands, we don't teach, we do not teach transubstantiation, or consubstantiation, because at the time that Jesus said, this is my body, Jesus was still in his body, holding the bread. He was using the bread as a picture. Now, if I can illustrate this, I can hold this picture of my family and show it to you and say, this is my family. And when I say, this is my family, you all understand what I'm saying. Now, this is not literally my family. My family is flesh and blood. This is only a picture. But I can say, this is my family, and you would all understand what I'm trying to say. Jesus said, this is my body, when he was holding the loaf, the the, the bread. The bread was a picture of a much greater reality. Now, it's important for us Highlands to understand that we do not, even though we do not teach transubstantiation or consubstantiation, we do not discount the opinions of other believers. The fact is that God can do anything. And that if God chose to do anything, he could turn the elements into the literal body and blood of Christ. However, we don't teach Consubstantiation or transubstantiation at Highlands. Now the word "broken," found in some translations such as the King James Version, appears in italics because it's it's not in many of the original source documents. In fact, in John chapter nineteen, we're told that not a bone was broken in Jesus' body. So a better rendering of this is: "This is my body, which is for you." Now if one insists on including the word broken or the concept of broken, then one could say that as a piece of bread is torn from the loaf, so also Jesus' limbs were torn from his trunk. In this regard, when someone was crucified, their arms would be outstretched, and as their legs weakened, the weight of their trunk would bear down and would pull the arms out of the sockets. Not a bone would be broken, but the body would be effectively broken.
0: Understanding the uniqueness of the Lord's table when we talk about the body broken for you, even though no bones were broken. Questions about today's program, or if you would like to know a bit more about Church of the Highlands here in San Bruno, where our teacher and pastor, Leighton Sheely, ministers, you can do so off of our website, highlands.us. Again, highlands.us. Tomorrow we are back in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 once again as we explore the Lord's Supper and just how special it really is. Join us then for our Wednesday edition of Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely. Until then, God bless.